Come, let us sing for joy to the, to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. I'm going to invite Fuelling to do uh, the other two Bible readings. Thanks. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. Praise for spiritual blessings in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Revelation chapter 7. Verse 9 to 17. The great multitude in white robes. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them in, with His presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. 
the sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, what you are doing in your church. Uh, We pray that this day as uh, we uh, reflect on um, how majestic you are, that you might help us to see once again why your son is worthy of all praise. Amen. Okay, well, can I ask you please, uh, grab a leaflet and open it up to the inside. You'll see there's a pretty comprehensive outline that you'll need to have open in front of you. If you don't have a leaflet, you can get them from the doors. There's a couple of Bible passages that are printed in there and a place for you to take some notes. Uh, You'll want that open in front of you as we start today. And you'll see on the top left there that where I want to begin today's talk is with the question, what is church? What is church? I wonder how you'd answer that most basic of questions as we begin this series. What is church? There's a couple of possibilities. You might say that church is a building. You know, like when someone says, ooh, that's a pretty church. Uh, You might say church is an institution. You know, when someone asks, what's the church's response to something? You might say the church is a Sunday gathering. Uh, You know, that's when someone says, I'm going to church this morning. Or maybe you would say, in answer to what is church, you'd say church, it's a community of people. You know, when someone says, I'm a member of a church or I belong to a church. What is church? A building, an institution, a Sunday gathering, a community of people? The answer is yes. Uh, It's all of them in different kinds of ways. And actually, as we start this series, what my hope is that is that we see that unless we have the breadth of those answers... Uh, we're going to miss out, and I don't want anyone to be shortchanged. So, as we start this short series, can I say I'm really excited about it? A couple of introductory comments as we begin. Uh, The first is to acknowledge this is not the normal type of preaching that we have in this church. Uh, Normally, uh, we just make our way through books of the Bible, chapter and verse, like we've been doing in John's Gospel since the start of the year. Uh, We'll actually come back to John in a couple of months' time, But occasionally, very occasionally, I think it's good for us to take a step back uh, and to ask the bigger picture questions about a particular topic, what the Bible has to say as a whole. So that's what we're going to do. Second, uh, the reason I've chosen this particular topic for this moment in time, um, let me say from the outset, it's not to try and send you on a guilt trip. I'm not trying to get you to do more at church or anything like that. I'm also not going to cover every issue or answer every question, or deal with every concern uh, that you might have. Now, for the record, I am not reacting to any particular problem in the church at the moment, whether real or perceived. Rather, my prayer is that this series, it will do two things. My prayer is that it will firstly help calibrate our expectations, calibrate our expectations, so that we cope uh, when we're disappointed, But much more importantly, what I hope is that in this series, I hope to lift our eyes and to enlarge our vision and to capture our imagination with the glory of God's church. And so, whether you're just checking us out today, or even if you're finding church to be actually quite hard at the moment, 
I hope you'll be encouraged not to give up and to give her another chance. And the third thing to say as we begin, um, and hopefully this helps, uh, what I thought I'd do in this series is kick off a fun competition. Now, you know I like competitions every now and then. If you have a look on your handout, here's the competition. Uh, the competition um, with book prizes that I'm going to give away each week. Uh, I'd love to invite you to give some responses to what you think about church over the next few weeks. Have a look at the two questions there. Uh, the first is, I'd love to hear from people, what do you love about church? What do you love about church? Uh, that's because I want to be able to encourage all of us with some of the answers. And the second question, what could you do to make church better? What could you do to make church better? And this obviously is an opportunity to give feedback to our gathering leadership team. So competition over the next few weeks, you can enter online. Each week I'll give away a book prize and then uh, share with us uh, some of the encouraging responses. Okay? So that's that. Um, does anyone know why it's suddenly got dark in here? Nope. Okay, we'll keep going. Um, let me start with the most basic and the biggest picture question for this series, where I want to begin. What's the point of church? Uh, or, as it says there on point one, what is church for? What is church for? Uh, I want to try and give two answers, which will kind of set what we're going to talk about today, and they're both printed there on your handout. What is the point of church? What's church for? First answer, church is for, for us to praise and worship God. For us to praise and worship God. Uh, the reason we started uh, the Bible readings with Psalm 95 and saying it together is because Psalm 95 is what's called an invocation or a summons. It's a call to God's people to come and worship. Uh, look at some of the things that we were called to do, which I've reprinted there on your handout. Psalm 95 verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And then again in verse 6, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. What is church for? It's to praise and worship God. And that's because our God is the rock of our salvation. And that means that we come before Him with thanksgiving in joyful song to extol His name. You notice in Psalm 95, it's not just I do this, or it's not just you do this, it's actually we all do this together, collectively, because we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And the reason why we gather with others who have the same joyful and thankful hearts is to sing the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Uh, and that's, of course, 1 Peter 2, which I printed there on your handout. Now, this is a key passage for us, and we're going to come back to it in the third talk. But for today, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is church for? To praise and worship God. And can I say, ongoing praise 
presumes that we keep learning about more and more things to praise him for. If I can put it this way, one of the ways in which we stop praise and worship of God ever becoming boring is continual discovery of new reasons to praise him. And you see here, in fact, that God's mercy lies at the very heart of our praise and worship of him. And so that's the second answer. Uh, what is church for? What's the point of church? It's to praise and worship God. But the second answer there on your handout, halfway down, is to proclaim God's glorious grace. Particularly to proclaim God's glorious grace. Look at me at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. This is the first of the readings that Fuiling brought to us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Why? Verse 6, here's the key. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. There are so many reasons why God is worthy of our praise. His power, His might, His creation of everything from nothing simply by a word. That's one reason to praise Him. His knowledge, His foreknowledge, His love and His compassion. His steadfastness, His faithfulness, His rock-solidness. His purity, His goodness, His rightness, and His perfection. And the list of things to praise God for goes on and on and on. But for sinners saved by Christ, perhaps the most basic reason why we praise the rock of our salvation, the one who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light, is because of His glorious grace which he has freely given us in Jesus. You see, God forgave us when we didn't deserve it, even though we will never, never live up to it. And in fact, we so often continue to insist that we still don't even need it. And yet, for all of our failings and shortcomings, God still bestows grace upon grace on us. For his mercy is new every morning, as we have just sung. Why do we praise and worship God? Well, supremely, I think, we praise his glorious grace. And what does it look like to live as a people who are constantly praising God for his glorious grace? Well, let me give you two suggestions, two implications of what this looks like in practice. Here's the first. If God's grace is so glorious, I want to say that praise and worship of God, it should not be limited to 75 minutes on a Sunday morning. If God's grace is so glorious, praise and worship of Him, it shouldn't be limited to just 75 minutes on a Sunday morning. Now, don't get me wrong. I think our Sunday gatherings, they ought to be the high point of our worship of God. But it is never its sum total. One way to show that, I think, is from Romans 12, which I've printed there for you on your handout. 
Romans 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Uh, This is the reason why a full definition of church is more than just what happens on a Sunday morning. It describes how God's people live Monday through Saturday. How we live constantly, all the time, every waking moment of every single day. And God's people live that way because Jesus is not just our saviour for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday mornings. He is our Lord throughout the week, wherever he has us in his world. That's also why I think the definition of church, it has to describe more than just a Sunday gathering. It actually describes the relationships between God's people, how we relate to each other in community, in relationship with each other. And so that's the second implication of what it means to be a people who proclaim God's glorious grace. God's glorious grace changes the way we treat each other. It changes the way we treat each other. It changes the way we treat fellow worshippers of that same God. In fact, if I can put it this way, that's how you know that God's grace has changed any one of us. Because it changes the way we treat other people. I haven't said this in a while. As we keep seeing in the Bible over and over again, the vertical always shapes the horizontal. The vertical always shapes the horizontal. Our relationship with God, the vertical, that always has an effect on how we treat other people. That's the horizontal. And you see that, I think, particularly in the most painful of circumstances in church. Uh, That's when others sin against you. Even Even when they do, we forgive them. Just as God in Christ forgave us. You see, that's what in view of God's mercy means. In view of God's mercy. It means we extend grace to others because God has given us grace. And in fact, that's a radical way for us to think about what's going on when someone does offend you. It's actually the moment for both of us to be reminded that nothing would be possible were it not for God's forgiveness of each of us. Have a look at what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. I've printed it there for you on your handout. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Even when sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life, is not the sinning brother still a brother with whom I too stand under the word of Christ? Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God in Jesus Christ? What he's saying is that God's forgiveness of us, it changes the way in which we treat others. How often are we to forgive in the church community? Well, Jesus says not just seven times, but 70 times seven times. And actually, can I say, that's what's so distinctive about the church. That's what sets church apart from every other community in society. 
every other organization you can join, a sporting one, a work organization, a local community, a special interest community. What's unique and special about the church is that the mark of God's people is that we pray for each other even when they offend us. Because all of us live in the forgiving love of God in Christ Jesus. In church, we pray for each other, even when others offend us, even though it would be much easier to walk away out of self-protection or to tear others down the way our world does. Bonhoeffer again, bottom left of your handout. A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me, his face, that hitherto may have been strange or intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. I want to acknowledge that this is not easy to do. All of us know that from experience, whenever you've been hurt by someone else in church. If you turn back to the front cover of your handout, you'll notice the series title that I've chosen. I did it deliberately. It's called Heaven on Earth, but with a question mark. Because so often it doesn't feel like that. It is very hard to live this way. But one day, in eternity, all of God's people will praise him who saved us. We will praise and worship him for his glorious grace without ceasing, without interruption, day and night, forever and ever. In perfect communion, not just with God, but with each other. That's the reason why we had the last Bible reading from Revelation 7, to paint that magnificent picture of what it will be like for us in all eternity. Let me read uh, verses 9 through 14. I printed them there for you on your handout. Follow along. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise, glory, wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders asked me, are these in white robes, who are they? Where they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who've come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the lamb. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of a lamb. It is an extraordinary image to describe Jesus' work for us, to describe God's glorious grace of our forgiveness won through Christ's self-sacrifice, which is the reason why Jesus is worthy of all praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength, and it ought be forever and ever. 
Can I say that that day, if this sets your mind at ease, it will be, I think, less a never-ending church service and more a never-ending celebration of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Well, what does all that mean for us in the meantime? Point two, and I'll move more quickly at this point. In the meantime, well, in the meantime, we live with the tension between what church is like and what she will one day be. We live between the tension, the tension between, I printed there on your handout, the church temporal, church temporal, what she is now, and the church eternal, what she will one day be. Church temporal, what she is now, the church eternal, what she one day will be. It's like the church visible, what we can see, and the church invisible, church invisible, what is actually taking place behind the scenes, or the difference between a local church and the church universal. The church temporal, what she is now. Well, to be honest, the church right now is always a bit of a letdown. It's always a bit of a letdown because she's incomplete. She's a work in progress. She is what C.S. Lewis calls, and I printed there for you on your handout, C.S. Lewis calls it that half-finished sham Gothic building. Isn't he wicked, (laughs) C.S. Lewis? Um, I'm going to read a quote for you in just a moment. It's from his book called The Screwtape Letters. Um, This is an imagination, uh, imaginary story that Lewis tells. It's between a senior devil and a junior devil who are conspiring to lead Christians astray. Okay, so you've got to kind of reverse everything, but listen to what he says. Senior devil to a junior devil on how to lead Christians astray. One of our great allies is the church itself. Don't misunderstand me. I don't mean the church as we see her, spread out through time and space, rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it's quite invisible to these humans. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic building on the new building estate. When he gets inside, he sees just that selection of neighbours whom he has hitherto avoided. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. (laughs) You want to turn around? Um, work hard then on the disappointment which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. The church temporal, it's always a bit of a letdown. And yet, please don't give up on her. Not if Christ died for her. Not if she will become something truly magnificent in eternity. Because that's what the church eternal will be. This is so much more inspiring and uplifting and encouraging. I printed there for you on your handout a few more verses from Revelation 19 this time. Here John's vision has continued. Look at what he sees now. Verse 19, chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her wear. 
Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. What an extraordinary way to describe the church eternal. As the bride of Christ, resplendent in all her glory, celebrating and rejoicing at the greatest wedding feast the world will ever see. Church temporal and the church eternal. Right now, the church is so ordinary, so unspectacular, so unimpressive, so mundane. But one day, she will be so much more. One day, she'll be not just the body of Christ, but the bride of Christ. Betrothed to the king who has laid down his life for her. So I want to say to you, treat her the way you would treat a princess before she is crowned the queen. Right now, the church, well, the church is full of sinners like you and me. But one day, one day she will be purified and perfect and blameless and sinless and made up only of people who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. So can I urge you, look after her the way you would anything so precious that has been lent to you for safekeeping. Right now, the church is often disappointing. And though there's no excuse for failures and shortcomings, one day she will be finally and fully and completely perfected in Christ. So don't give up on her. Not if Jesus does not. In the meantime, how do we live? Well, I said that the church is a work in progress, but actually, you'll see that on your handout there, perhaps a better image is that we are in transit, like a train that's heading in a particular direction. There's a quote that I'm going to read out. It's there on your handout, and you'll also see it on the screen behind me. Here's what... Stanley Howass and William Willimon say, when we're baptised, we, like the first disciples, jump on a moving train. As disciples, we don't so much accept a creed or come to a clear sense of self-understanding by which we know this or that without a certitude. We become part of a journey that began long before we got here and shall continue long after we're gone. If we talk about the church being a work in progress, that brings to mind the image of a construction site, I think, of a building that's not quite complete. But I love the image of the church being like a moving train, of us belonging to something that began long before we got here, and it will continue long after we are gone. Isn't that reassuring to know? Isn't that reassuring when you have your own doubts or struggles? When you find yourself wondering, as a Christian, am I heading in the right direction? Or when it feels like you just keep, can't keep going because it's all too hard. In that moment, it's a reminder that we have joined something bigger than ourselves. And it's not that we ever rely on someone else's faith. 
Everyone must decide for themselves to follow Jesus. To continue the metaphor, you actually have to board the train yourself. But how good it is to know that in times of stress or hardship or despair, how good it is to be reassured that we belong to something bigger, that we are not alone in our desire to praise and worship God for his glorious grace. To put it slightly differently, if we are part of a train that's moving through time and space, what we have in common with Christians who have died is actually more important than what sets us apart from them. What we have in common with Christians who have died, that's actually more important than what sets us apart from them. Now, to most of us, life and death feels like a pretty big divide, as many of us have felt recently, or perhaps as you are facing in the months ahead. But if we belong to something bigger that God is doing in Jesus, then even death can't revoke our membership in the church eternal. Because God's people are stretched out across time and space. I thought I'd let you know a little secret of mine. Sometimes during the week, when there's no one around, I come into this building and I sit quietly in the pews and I imagine all the people who have sat here before we did. Without being ghoulish or macabre, I like to go around and read the headstones that tell such incredible stories of faithful believers who are on the train long before we ever were. My favourite one is of Sarah Bartley. Uh, it's up in the pulpit. Sorry, Sarah's not in the pulpit. The headstone is in the pulpit. But uh, there's a picture on screen. I know you can't read it, but that's what's up there. Let me read out what it says. In memory of Sarah Bartley, the wife of William Bartley, after a long and painful illness, born with Christian resignation, she died as she had lived, in the love of God and humble confidence of Christ her Saviour. She died as she had lived, in the love of God and humble confidence of Christ her Saviour. I never met Sarah Bartley. One day I take it I will. But in the meantime, it moves me to praise God for his glorious grace seen in Jesus Christ. Let me finish with a couple of practical suggestions. I'm going to try and do this each week throughout this series. I want to mention, well, I want to talk about something that this doesn't mention and then a suggestion for next Sunday. Let me start with what this doesn't mention. What I've talked about today, there is no mention of, do I have to go to church? Do I have to go to church? I cannot say that uh, as I talk to people who aren't Christian, who are thinking about whether or not they'll become Christians, one of the very legitimate fears they have is that if they become a Christian, they'll have to start going to church and particularly lose their Sunday morning sleep in. I understand that fear. It's the same, though, even for those who are Christians, who are followers of Christ. Sometimes we find ourselves wondering, in our busy, busy lives, what happens if another commitment clashes with the Sunday gathering? Do I have to go to church? 
I hope you can see, given what I said today, that it's actually a nonsensical thought. It's a nonsensical thought. As God's people, we already belong to his church. It is who we are. It's our identity. And I know that there are legitimate reasons why you might miss a Sunday gathering. So, for example, hypothetically, if you were stranded on a desert island, yes, you don't have to go to church. I get that. Or perhaps more realistically, maybe incapacity due to old age or illness. Or maybe you just find yourself anxious in large crowds. There are legitimate reasons why people might miss a Sunday gathering, but it seems to me actually that those very few exceptions, they confirm the rule. That actually we are part of church. This is what God is doing in his world. And if there was one benefit from COVID, the one thing I think that we all realised in COVID, finally, we understood the value of what it means to meet together only when they told us that we weren't allowed to. Do I have to go to church? Well, I hope you can see that it's a question that actually makes no sense at all. Can I say, if you are here as a Christian person and you've reached that point where you don't want to go to church, well, basically you're saying, get me off the train. Come and talk with me afterwards if that's your situation. Practical application. No mention of do I have to go to church. Here's the final thing I want to say. For next Sunday, what does this all look like? Well, what I'd love to say is, arrive early, leave late. Arrive early, leave late. That is, don't just plan to saunter in at the last minute possible, but arrive early and leave late because you cannot bear the thought of missing even a single second of being surrounded by others who started doing what we're going to delight in for all eternity, declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Don't miss out. Hebrews 10, I think, puts it in a really lovely way to finish. So let me read out these words and then I'll pray. Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is building his church, and that we have the joy and privilege of being part of it. So we pray, this day, this week, And until we see him face to face, help us to praise him for your glorious grace. Amen.